0: say good morning to all of you who are here, to those who are at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching by television, those who are watching online. Thanks uh, for being here today. I want you to pay close attention. This is one of those messages. If you're a parent and you have younger children or teenagers or you're a grandparent, you've got younger grandkids, I would really encourage you to take a few notes today. And I would really encourage you to share what I'm going to share, because it may save you and your grandkids and your kids a lot of heartache going down the road. I want to begin with a story about President Andrew Jackson. He had a mother that, kind of like me, he didn't just love his mom, he revered his mom. And they were having a conversation just before she died. And she said, Andrew, I want to give you some advice, and I hope you'll never forget it. And this is what she said to him. She said, in this world, you will have to make your own way. And to do that, you must have friends. Now, that sounds simple, but I don't want you to blow over that. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. In this world, you got to make your own way. And to do that, you must have friends. Everybody must have friends. Whether you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or you are the general of an army, or even if you are the president of the United States, everybody needs a friend. Uh, John Donne, the title of his book says it all, no man is an island. And I want to talk to you today about the importance of friendship, and I want us to study today what I think is probably the greatest friendship that we'll ever find anywhere in the Bible, and it may be the greatest friendship in history. It's probably the most famous friendship, and everybody knows about it. It is a friendship between two men, one named David and one named Jonathan. And David, as you know, we're in a series of David. If you didn't know this, we're in a series in the life of David. David was a great king, maybe the greatest king Israel ever had, maybe the greatest king who ever lived. And David had this friend named Jonathan. And there were so many lessons we can learn from David. The reason why I am studying his life is because there's so many life lessons about David that are applicable to our own life. And we can learn today about a man that the scripture calls a man after God's own heart. And you're going to see today one of the reasons why we even know who David is, and we even know his story, is because of his best friend. If you brought a copy of God's Word, we're in the book of 1 Samuel today. You go to the book of Genesis, just turn right, you'll come to 1 Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now let me kind of set up the story. Jonathan was more than just a friend to David. He was David's best friend. David didn't have any friend like him. As a matter of fact, his friendship was so valuable that not only would David have never become king without his friendship, you're going to find out today David would not have even physically survived had it not been for his friendship. So he owed both his throne to Jonathan and his life to Jonathan. Jonathan. Now, there's an old saying, maybe you've heard it before. There's an old saying, and it's so true. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, it didn't get there by himself. That's true. You ever see a turtle on a fence post, it didn't get there by itself. And anyone who has ever gotten anywhere has had friends to help them get there whether they, all, whether they realize it or not. There's no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made woman. If you've had any success in your life at all, somebody helped you with that success. If you've done anything good in your life, somebody helped you to get that good done. Now, here's the truth of the matter. We all have dealings with people. You know them and I know them. And, and, and they're really not interested in becoming a real friend. You know, sometimes you can size these people up pretty quickly. We've all met people, and you realize pretty quickly the only reason that they want to quote unquote be your friend is because they think you can do something for them or they think you can be something to them. And, but then there are certain people you meet along the way, and, and it's just God's gift. And they come into your life, and you realize pretty quickly. They're not looking to use you. They're not looking to exploit you. They're not looking for what you can do for them. They honestly are looking for what they can do for you and what they can be to you. And it's those kind of people that become your real friends and some of them become your very best friends. I remember when I was working on this message, I'll never forget the second church I pastored is a country church. In fact, the first two churches I pastored were country churches, as you can imagine, one was a church about two hours outside of Louisville. We ran about 50 people in attendance. And then I got called to what I thought was a mega church. It ran 120 people. And I almost tripled my attendance in one Sunday. God's good all the time. So I was preaching in view of a call on Sunday morning. And then we had this Q&A session on Sunday afternoon. And they, everybody wanted to come out. And the place was packed. They wanted to ask their new pastor all these kind of questions. And so after the Q&A session was over, I'll never forget what happened. This big bellied man came walking up to me. He's really kind of humorous in a way. He, he had a marine haircut. He was wearing baggy pants that were kind of, kind of, you know, kind of down here, so to speak. He had, a, he had a shirt that didn't fit and it was open. You could see his belly button. I mean, I'm not making this up, okay? And he, and he comes walking up to me, and I don't you know, I'm not trying to make fun of him, but, but I learned early on he, I, there was something he was wearing that really put me on my guard. You know what he was wearing? White socks. Let me tell you, listen, I've learned this. I was advised this when I was a young man. Don't ever put anybody on a finance committee that wears white socks because they're always cheap. All right, now, whether you wear white socks or not, I'm sorry, if you do, you're probably cheap. But anyway, so this guy comes walking up to me and and I'm just be honest with you, you know how you judge a book by its cover. So I make this snap judgment. I said, okay, I got you figured out. Got to watch you. You're a troublemaker. You probably got some negative question you wanted to ask or you got some negative critical comment. And so when he walked up to me, I just instinctively just kind of folded my arms. And I kind of got into a defensive position. I braced myself. And I will never forget what he said. When he got up to me, he smiled and he had a gap between his front teeth, this gap to smile. And he smiled real big and he stuck out his hand. And here's what he said. He said, Brother James, my name is David. David. By the way, that's his name. He said, my name is David. He said, I don't have much money. I don't have a lot of power influence in this church. He said, really, I'm kind of a nobody. But he said, I've come to make you an offer. He said, my wife and I will help you take care of your baby anytime that you need it. James had just been born. He wasn't but a few weeks old. He said, we will help you take care of your baby. And then I'll never forget the next thing he said. He said, my home will be your home. And I will be your best friend, and I want you to know that pot-bellied, gap-toothed guy that wore white socks became one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. You know why? He said, I don't want anything from you. I wanna give something to you. I'm not interested in what you can do for me, I'm interested in what I can do for you. Now, there are two things that are true of every human being that's on this planet. We all need to have the right kind of friends, And we all need to be the right kind of friends. And that's why this message is so important for your children and your grandchildren. Because I'm going to share with you an email at the end of this message I got this morning from a woman, a mother, that will illustrate just how important having the right kind of friends will be. Because I'll tell you one thing I've learned, and and you're going to learn this too if you haven't learned it already. You will make a ton of acquaintances in your life, you don't make many real friends. I I hate to burst somebody's bubble today, but (laughs) you don't have as many friends as Facebook says you do. (laughs) And by the way, your Instagram likes are not a reflection of the depth of friendship in your life. And so today, what I wanna do is share with us and look at the greatest friendship in history. And I wanna share with you how to find best friends and how to be the best friends, because this is why this is so crucial to your children and to your grandchildren. The three greatest choices your kids will ever make in their life, the three greatest choices your grandchildren will ever make in this life are these three. Number one, which God am I going to serve? And by the way, everybody serves some God, even an atheist. It may be himself. It may be sex. It may be pleasure. It may be money. It may be success. Everybody serves some God. So which God am I going to serve? Second, what person am I going to marry? I don't have to go into that detail. You know how important that is. But here's the third one. Who are going to be my best friends? I cannot tell you how important that decision is. Who are going to be my best friends? So what we're going to do today is we look in 1 Samuel. We're going to look at what really makes a best friend friend. What are the qualities of a best friend? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the people. If you were to make a list of people and I were to say to you, who would you say your real friends really are? Who would you say they are? I want you to right now to make an imaginary list. And then I want to share with you three characteristics of a real friend. And I want you to see if they really match up. And if you really match up to what a friend ought to be and the friends you ought to have. All right. Number one, Best friends give selfless love. Best friends give selfless love. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1 pretty much tells you all you need to know as to the depth of the friendship that Jonathan had with David. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. Now, this is the New International Version, but I don't believe it really captures either the letter or the spirit of this verse and how strong their friendship really was. Let me read it to you in a more literal version. As soon as you had finished speaking of Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That word knit literally means to be chained. In other words, when they met, almost like this, that one soul was chained to another soul. In other words, they weren't just friends. They were soul brothers. Big difference between being a friend and being a soul brother. And Jonathan had the highest love for David that any person could ever have because we're told he loved David as his own soul. Let me tell you what that means. Okay, listen to this. Jonathan loved David more than Jonathan loved Jonathan. Jonathan loved David more than Jonathan loved Jonathan. You remember what the Jesus said was the greatest second commandment of all? Was He didn't just say love your neighbor, right? He said love your neighbor how, as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why why did Jesus say that? Because we all have a tendency to love ourselves more than we love anybody else. You know, it was said of Napoleon and his wife that they had one thing in common. They both loved him. We all had that tendency to love ourselves. Well, Jonathan actually loved David more than he loved himself. You say, okay, wait a minute. How do we know that Jonathan loved David more than he loved himself? Well, if you don't know anything about Jonathan, let me kind of give you a little background. Jonathan was the oldest son of Saul, who was the king of Israel. He was the prince in waiting, he was the heir apparent. The royal position belonged to him. By birthright, he was supposed to be the next king. The people's praise should have been his. Kingly power was his birthright. But God had promised the throne to David, God had promised the crown to David. David was standing in Jonathan's way of becoming the king of Israel. So he had every reason to be envious, every reason to be jealous, every reason to be bitter. But I want you to notice now what he does for David. Watch this, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword his bow and his belt. Now, you may wonder what in the world does that mean and why did he do that? As a matter of fact, I promise you, when the servants standing around Jonathan saw what Jonathan did for David, their chin hit the ground. They could not believe what he was doing. He gives David his robe. That was a symbol of his future role as king. He gives him his sword and his bow. That symbolized his role as commander-in-chief. He gave David his belt, which was the chief ornament of a soldier that was worn, and it could only be worn by someone that was in the royal line of becoming the next king. So in other words, everything that rightfully belonged to Jonathan, everything that legally belonged to Jonathan, everything that Jonathan should have had, he gave it to David. And he was saying to David in a tangible way, I love you more than I love me. I care more about you than I care about me. By the way, later at a moment in David's life when he was under the gun and he was on the run, there was a hit squad after him at the risk of his own life. Jonathan goes to David, even though he knows he could have been killed for doing so. Jonathan steps up and goes to David and listen to what he said to David. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Whatever you want me to do, David, I will do it for you. You just put, I've already put the contract on the table. I've already signed it. There's nothing on it. You fill it in and it will be done. Now, how do most people in our, let's just be honest. How do most people in life handle that? Here's what most people will say. When when, when somebody says to you, hey man, if you ever need anything, let me know. Or if I can do anything for you, let me know. Here's what most people are really saying. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you if it doesn't cost me too much or it doesn't involve money or it isn't inconvenient or it doesn't interrupt my schedule. But Jonathan's offer was unconditional. He said, whatever, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter what it costs, doesn't matter what leaks I have to go to, whatever You need me to do for you, I will do for you. It was absolutely, totally unconditional. It was selfless love. You know, I've learned that there are friends and there's family. But then there are friends who become family. I've got some friends like that, some of them in our church. They're just like family to me. They know who they are. They're just like family. Well, Jonathan made David a part of his family by selfless love. So here's my question to you. Your friends are the people that you really think are your real friends. Would you say that they give you selfless love? Would you say that they love you more than they love themselves? That's test one. Here's test two. Best friends give steadfast loyalty. They give steadfast loyalty. Not just selfless love, they give steadfast Loyalty. Now listen, love is the foundation of any real friendship. I mean, you can't be a friend with somebody if you don't love them, right? Everybody would agree with that. Love is the foundation. However, loyalty is the glue that holds it together. Every time uh, in my ministry, when we've hired new staff people, and I kind of have my sit down, come to Jesus meeting, so to speak, before they come on our staff. I tell every staff person that, that, that we bring on our staff that the one, th- absolute, the one thing that I expect them to give to me, and the one thing that I promise I will give to them is loyalty. Because every pastor will tell you that the staff people that have hurt them the most are the people who have been disloyal staff people. And I've had some. I've had my share. I've had people that I thought were really good men, good particularly good men and good women, maybe me good men. I've hired several guys that I thought were really good, stab me in the back tried to hurt me. And disloyalty is what separates true friends from false friends. Because let me tell you how loyal Jonathan was. You you may not understand this if you don't know the story. Jonathan's friendship came at a high cost. It was not easy for Jonathan to be a best friend to David, much less a friend. It was because it greatly complicated his life. And here's why. His father, King Saul, he was jealous of David. He feared David. He felt threatened by David. He didn't want David to be the next king. He wanted Jonathan to be the next king. And as you're gonna see later on in David's story, through no fault of David, Saul becomes his greatest enemy. He didn't do anything to Saul. Matter of fact, all he tried to do was help Saul, but Saul just couldn't help himself. And he absolutely hated David. As a matter of fact, Saul's number one goal became to see David dead. He put out a wanted dead or alive poster on David. So for Jonathan to be David's friend, it risked not only losing his father's favor, it also would sacrifice his own royal future. But here's what I want you to see about Jonathan. He would never become the king, but did he have the heart of a king? Oh, he had such a kingly heart. He had what I call the royalty of loyalty. And this is illustrated in the next chapter because here's what's going on. I'm going to show this to you in just a second. Saul has become so obsessed with David. He started talking about it publicly. He started running him down in public. He started telling anybody who would listen that David was the greatest danger to the kingdom that existed. And he didn't care who knew it. And he finally gets to the point, he orders Jonathan to form an assassination squad, he orders Jonathan to form a squad of hit men and take David out. So we read this in chapter 19. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. So he says, Jonathan, here's your assignment. I want you to take the Navy SEALs. I want you to take the Army Rangers. I want you to take the Green Berets. I want you to take the best soldiers that we have. I want you to hunt that guy down and I want him dead. Jonathan, not only at the risk of his own life, warns David to go into hiding, but he did something even a son wasn't supposed to do. He stands up to his father. He takes up David's defense with his father. You may not realize what I'm about to read, how important it is, but Jonathan, in most every other situation, even the son of a king would have been killed for doing what Jonathan did. Listen to this. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Now, Dad, John, Saul's just put out a hit, a, hit, a hit squad on him. He's just put out the wanted Dead or a Lie poster. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He's not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. Now, you talk about the mark of a true friend. Let me tell you about me as a pastor. You know who who my best friends are? And this is is probably the number one way that I kind of gauge who my really best friends are. They have my back. They have my back. A true friend, listen to me, listen. A true friend will not talk about you when other people are not, uh, uh, about talk about you when you're not around. But it's better than that. When other people talk about you to them when you're not around, they will defend you. They will give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, if necessary, they'll confront you privately. They'll find out the truth. But here's, here's to put it real easily. let me put it this way. Your real friends will N-E-V-E-R never throw you under the bus, never. Never do that. They'll always have your back. David's son Solomon, who went on to become king, probably was thinking about Jonathan when he wrote these words. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. Let me tell you something. You don't find out who your friends are when everybody loves you. You find out who your friends are when everybody loaves you. You don't find out who your friends are when you're up on the mountaintop. You find who your friends are when you are down in the valley. You don't find your friends when everybody's throwing praise at you and you're standing over everybody else. You find out who your friends are when to be your friend may mean we you both have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's when you find out who your friends are. I, I, I love this story. I don't think I've ever told it to you before. But there was a farmer that walked into a bank and he sat down with his banker and he said, uh, Pete, you know, he said, we, we've been friends for a long time. And he said, well, yeah, we have. And he said, well, um, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. He said, which would you like to hear first? And the banker said, well, you know, we've been friends for a long time. I can handle it. He said, why don't you, um, why don't you just tell me the bad news first and get it over with? So the farmer said, well, okay. He said, you know, we, we've had a, a, a real bad drought and my crops didn't come in. And I'm just not going to be able to pay anything on my mortgage this year at all. And he had a huge mortgage. And the banker said, man, that's, that's pretty bad. And then the farmer said, well, uh, Pete, it gets worse. He says, I'm not going to be able to make any payments on the loan for the machinery that I bought either. He bought hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of machinery. And the banker said, good grief, that, that really is bad. And then the farmer said, well, it's even worse than that. He said, you know, you remember I borrowed money to buy seed and fertilizer and all my winter supplies? Well, he said, I, I can't pay anything on that either. And the banker finally said, look, man, I don't want to hear any more bad news. I mean, can you, what is the good news? And the farmer smiled real big and he said, well, the good news is I'm going to keep on doing business with you. <laughs> now, best friends give steadfast loyalty. They'll walk into your house when the whole world just walked out. There's an old saying that country people have that goes like this. When your last dog dies, I will still be sitting on your front porch. That's a friend. A friend will give steadfast loyalty. He or she will not only never stab you in the back, they won't tolerate other people stabbing you in the back. Jonathan was a real friend. He gave David selfless love. I love you more than I love me. He gave David steadfast loyalty. David, even if it costs me my own life, I will never throw you under the bus and I won't let anybody else do it either. But this is the best test. The next one is the best one of all. And even if the first two are true, I would encourage you with everything I have to encourage your kids and grandkids to make sure that the third quality is always there if they wanna have the right kind of right, best friend. Best friends give spiritual leadership. Best friends give spiritual leadership. Now, let me ask you a question. I, I bet if so, how many of you are familiar with or you know really well the story of David and Jonathan? Let me just see your hands. You, you know the story. All right, some of you don't, some of you not heard it, but some of you, okay. So for those of you who do know that story, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what drew Jonathan to David to begin with? And what drew David to Jonathan? Have you ever th- asked yourself, how in the world could two guys meet for the very first time and all of a sudden just have this instant connection? Well, let me give you a clue. Because you got to keep all this in, in a proper time frame. What had just happened before Jonathan met David? If you, anybody remember? David had just killed who? Yeah, he just killed Goliath, okay? Jonathan was there with everybody else. And Jonathan saw this this little shepherd boy named David and saw for the first time, he was just so encouraged and so blessed because he said, I can't believe it. I don't know who this kid is, but he's doing what nobody else will do. He trusts God in a way nobody else trusts God. He loves God in a way nobody else loves God. He has a great heart for God. Well, guess what? Jonathan had that same love for God. He had that same heart for God. He had that same trust in God. You say, well, how do you know? Because four chapters earlier, four chapters before David had even killed Goliath, Jonathan had decided that the Philistines had bullied Israel long enough and something had to be done. Well, just like David's situation, everybody was afraid to fight the Philistines. Everybody would just kind of cower down. They'd take the bullying. They just let, let the Philistines get away with whatever they wanted to get away with. And David decided, you know what? I've had enough. I, th- this is enough, this is wrong This has, shows no faith in God whatsoever So he decides He's going to go against the Philistines all by himself He's not going to wait on anybody else And he does it with the same heart that David had So Jonathan is talking to his young, An armor bearer, kind of his servant Kind of his sidekick, and listen to what he says To this armor bearer <clears throat> He said to this armor bearer, come Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. That's why they're called these Philistines. They didn't like these guys. Let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In other words, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, you know what? Strap up, the, get, get get the chariot ready. Get, bring me the bows and arrows. Bring me my sword. Bring me my shield. I'm gonna go out and fight this Philistines. I may die. I may not come back. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I am sick and tired of embarrassing the God that I say I believe in. I trust this God. I believe in this God. I'm going to fight in the name of this God because I know this God can save whether by many or by few. And you know what happened? That day, even though he was outmanned and even though he was outgunned, Jonathan killed 20 Philistines by himself fighting in the power of the God that he and David both loved. See, there is no friendship. There is no friendship like a friendship where both friends have a heart for God. And somehow David, Jonathan knew that David had a heart for God. And David says that Jonathan had a heart for God. And when one man has a heart for God and another man has a heart for God, they can become the best of friends. Now, here's the secret. Listen to this. Listen to this. You ready? The reason why David and Jonathan loved each other so much is because they both loved God so much. The reason they loved each other so much is because they both loved God so much. Here's what's true. David was a godlier man for having Jonathan in his life. And Jonathan was a godlier man for having David in his life. As a matter of fact, in the last meeting that Jonathan and David ever had, Saul is hunting David like a wild animal. He's about to corner him, he's about to kill him, he's about to really take him out. David is scared, David's exhausted, he's worried, he's been running hard during the day, he's been hiding out at night. Everybody was afraid of even getting around David. Nobody, they said, man, you get around him, the king will kill you too. Nobody but his own men would have anything to do with him. But once again, Jonathan, at the risk of his own life, searches David out, hunts David and finds David. And here's what we read. Now, listen to this. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds. And in the hills of the desert of Ziph. In other words, he would hide in the woods by day. He traveled through the desert at night. He was always on the run. He could hardly sleep. He slept with one eye open. He was always watching his back. Day after day, Saul searched for him, never let up. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all day Saturday, Saul says, I'm coming for you and I'm gonna get you and I'm going to kill you. But God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horash in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son's Jonathan went to David at Horash and, now watch this, helped him find strength in God. (laughs) See, David wasn't wanted dead or alive. I meant to tell you, I gotta correct that. It didn't say David wanted dead or alive. It said David wanted dead. He didn't want him alive. He wanted him dead. It was kill or be killed. So David is fighting the very same emotions you would have had if you had been fighting this king in running of this king. David was bitter. He was angry. He was revengeful. He had thoughts of assassination on his mind. He said, if I get the chance, I'm gonna kill you before you kill me. I'm gonna take you out, Saul. I've had enough of you. And Jonathan comes to David And he says, David, listen to me. Trust in God. Stay close to God. Find your strength, David, not in a a sword, not in a shield but in God. God is in control, David. He will see you through. Don't let your flesh get the better of you. Two wrongs don't make a right, and you never do wrong when you do what's right. And when you do what God wants, you are always right. David, don't be discouraged. You're not gonna be defeated. God made a promise to you. You are going to be the king, and God's word never fails, and God never lies. David, don't you let Saul come between you and God. You stay strong in God. God. And see, Jonathan did what best friends always do. They they build you up. They bring out the best in you. They'll bring you closer to God. They'll keep you from straying from God. You know, I just wonder, I'm just asking a question. I don't care how old or how young you are. I'm just raising a question. I, I wonder if there's some of you listening to me right now and maybe you need to evaluate who your best friends are or who you think your best friends are. I can't tell you in my ministry how many people I've seen go down the wrong path, make the wrong decision, wind up in the wrong place because their best friends turned out to be their worst enemies. This week had an amazing experience. I was invited to go play golf this week. I don't mind telling you that. I love to play golf and God's good all the time. And so God's sovereign. So I knew God wanted me to go. And so I was invited to play the number one golf course in the country up in Philadelphia. And they have caddies up there. My caddy on this particular day was an older man named John. There were 130 people slated to play the course that day and there were 66 caddies. So I had one chance out of 198 to draw this caddy. So I do what I always do. When uh, I introduced myself to John, he introduced himself to me. I said, hey, John, I said, I'm a pastor. I want to ask you a question. I said, do you, do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? And he teared up and he looked at me and he said, uh, no, I don't mind. He said, you know, I've, I've gone through a real rough spot lately. And I said, well, if you don't mind, I don't mean to pry. What, what's, what's going on? He said, I just lost my son three weeks ago. I said, oh, John, I'm so sorry. Well, if you don't mind me asking what happened, he said, well, he, he overdosed. I said, oh John, I'm so sorry. And then he said this, so I'm even asking. He said, Yeah. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Now, the upshot of that, the good news is I shared the gospel with him, and after the, the round was over, he prayed and asked Christ to come into his heart and uh I'm gonna send him a Bible. It was a, it was a real sweet thing. But just this morning, just this morning, I get an email from a lady. Her son just got out of prison. I went to visit him a couple of months ago, led him to Christ. I want you to listen to what she wrote me. She said, I pray he makes good choices and that God will bring godly friends into his life and he will completely walk away from his, quote, friends, unquote. And then she shares why they're not really his friends. And then she closes with this. She says, I'll tell you this so you'll know some of what he's up against. All I can do is explain what a true friend is and then hope he finds the right kind of friends. So I just wonder if maybe some people that you think are your real friends are really more like your real enemies. Because let me tell you something. Now, we ought to be a friend of sinners. Don't misunderstand me. We ought to, we ought to be friends with people who are lost. And I believe I all have that. I, you know, who's your one? I keep asking. Who's your one? I've got several ones. But you beware of anybody who drags you down rather than builds you up. You beware of anybody that says it's okay to take the wrong path. It's okay to make the wrong decision. It's okay to go the wrong way. I read about a man that that called the wrong number, but he couldn't help but laugh when he got the following response. Here's what it said. It says I'm not available right now, but I do thank you for caring enough to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave leave a message after the beep, and if I don't return your call, you're one of the changes. Now, I'm just asking a question. Are there some changes that you or your kids or your grandkids need to make as to who their best friends or your best friends really are. And so I wanna be practical. I wanna tell you where the best place I've ever found to go to find someone who can become a real best friend and where you can be a real best friend. I know what you think I'm gonna say. Oh, you're gonna say the church. No, I'm not even gonna say the church. But I do believe the best place you'll find best friends and the best place you'll feed a real friend is in a small group under the authority of a church. Cuz I got news for you. You're not going to make friends in this building. Not going to happen. You may sit next to someone you already know, but as far as coming in here and kind of the David meet Jonathan thing, that's probably not gonna happen in this building. It only happens in these small groups, whether it's a campus group or a home group off campus. And I've learned that when you get into a small group, you don't just make friends, you make friends who become family. I'm going tonight to my small group. Can't wait. Shared with them things I would never share publicly with you gone through things with them. They've gone through with me and they've gone through things I've gone through with them. And some of my very sweetest, dearest friends are in that group. And if you're not in a group, I'm going to say it till you get sick of it. If you're not in a group, you're missing out. I'm just telling you right now, you're missing out. Number one, you are missing out on finding some of the very best friends you'll ever have. And number two, there are people somewhere in some group, they need your friendship. They need you to be a friend to them. If Jesus spent three years of his life in a small group, you're no better than Jesus. And I'm not fussing at you, I'm trying to help you. I encourage you, I encourage your teenagers, I encourage your kids, get into a small group. Because at the end of the day, it is not what you have in life that matters, it's who you have in life that matters. And at the end of the day, what you want to know when you're breathing your last is you don't just have family, You have friends. I came across this quote the other day that brought a smile to my face. It said, diamonds are a girl's best friend, but a best friend is everyone's diamond. Diamonds are a girl's best friend, but a best friend is everyone's diamond. Listen, everybody not only needs a friend, everybody needs a best friend. So I have to close with this. You're missing out on life and your life will be a complete total waste at the end if your best friend is not Jesus. I won't say that again. Your life will be a total waste. I don't care what you do for anybody else, it doesn't matter. Your life will be a complete waste and it will not end well if Jesus is not your best friend friend. You know, when when, when Jonathan and David became friends, they were really equals, right? One was a prince, one was about to become a king. But when Jesus invited me to be his friend, I was an outcast. I was a sinner. I was a spiritual and moral moral failure. Jonathan gave David a robe of royalty that moths could eat and time would destroy. But when I became a friend of Jesus, he gave me a robe of righteousness that will last forever, He forgave me of all of my sins. And all of that is possible because my best friend, Jesus, who is the King of Kings, died for me. That's his selfless love. You know what this king has said the moment I gave my life to him? He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That is his steadfast loyalty. And then he said to me, I not only guide you to holiness in life, I'll guide you to heaven in death. That is his spiritual leadership. And that's why Jesus is the best friend we'll ever have. Let's pray together.